Hello, and welcome to Big Sound Small Town. I'm your host, Sandy Carlton. The small towns and communities of Cleveland County, North Carolina have long been a hotbed of music in all its many forms. Several Cleveland County musicians have found commercial success and critical acclaim in the music industry. Yeah, everybody knows the Earl Scruggs, Don Gibson, Patty Loveless, and Alicia Bridges are from Cleveland County. Donald Bird, too. So this is not a podcast about them. This is a podcast about the musicians who are still here to keep music alive here. This is the stories, and you need to know them and know the people who are making the music. This is not, this is not your normal podcast. you just heard was the band Les Honk from an October 28, 2007 reunion show. The name of the song was Union Grove. My guest today was a big part of that band 
he was a forerunner of Americana music. If you'll listen, there is a banjo. It does sound bluegrass. But there's an electric guitar in there and a drum kit. Uh, and it was an original tune. The forefather of Americana music was my guest for this show. His name is Daryl Allison. Give him a listen. Today on Big Sound Small Town, my guest is what some would argue to be the founding father of Americana music, at least in Cleveland County, Mr. Dow Allison. Thanks. Good show. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I love talking about music. And, uh, <laughs> oh, music. Where, uh, where, did, where did the love for music start with you? It's as far back as I can remember. I can remember I was I was doing a pretty good Elvis impression at age six. Oh yeah, that's good. And uh, then as I grew up, uh, I of course had the radio on all the time, and uh, I was a real big Ricky Nelson fan. Uh, as was Elvis. Elvis thought that Ricky Nelson had the look and the voice that everybody should have. And uh, then later on, uh, I started. Uh, listening to late night radio, WLS in Chicago. Oh, yeah. I could get them. That was one of the ones I could get off of. I could get them on a little transistor radio hidden beneath the covers uh, so my mother wouldn't know that I was staying up so late. And uh, that's where I first heard the Beatles, I believe, uh, about 1963 or sometime. And, uh, so I just had a love of music, and uh, coming on up through high school, I, I, of course, there was uh, the Monkees TV show, and there was Hullabaloo, and there was Shindig. Before that, there was Hootenanny. I had a love of folk music, too, so it was, uh, I didn't discriminate. <laughs> I kind of came along with some of the uh, Arthur Smith for Breakfast crowd. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Arthur Smith and Fred Kirby yeah. were daily daily watching fair mm -hmm. and uh, I I had to watch Arthur Smith before I went to school every morning well it was on in in high school well maybe about eighth or ninth grade I decided I was going to be a drummer and I got a set of drums and tried to start little bands and failed and uh, I never had really played guitar. I didn't know, I had a, an old acoustic guitar, but I couldn't play it because it was so bad. Mm -hmm. uh, and Bud McSwain invited me over to his house and he had a red Fender Mustang, I believe, oh, yeah. and, a, and a Sears Silvertone amp. And uh, he showed me, uh, he showed me Big Boss Man by Jimmy Reed. On, on there, and I didn't know I didn't know what Jimmy Reed was, and he he told me he said this is real rhythm and blues, and uh, <laughs> and it was, and it, was. Yeah. it was something real that I'd never heard before, and so I got interested in in all kinds of blues and rhythm and blues and country and bluegrass and because every Saturday night we listened to Flatten Scruggs on TV, uh, 
both my parents and my wife's parents would have that on regardless. <laughs> uh, and uh, of course, Grand Ole Opry and, and uh, various other shows, which left me thinking that there was no difference in music. I mean, if you were playing country or you're playing rock and roll or rockabilly or, or rhythm and blues or whatever you're playing, you're playing music. So that was, that was fine with me. Uh, but it was the real turning point was that with Bud McSwain, which showed me that you could have an electric guitar and you could play some pretty outstanding stuff. So I got me a $30, uh, I bought it from Ronnie Ash, uh, who sat behind me in the 10th grade. <laughs> it was an amp in case, oh, okay. the silver tone amp yes. in case, oh, single yes. pickup. Yes. Uh, terrible guitar, mm -hmm. although now they, they sell for like oh, five, six hundred dollars a piece. Uh, and I ended up selling it for thirty dollars. I wish I hadn't. Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to have one now, but I don't want to pay what they want for it. Were you still in high school at this time? No, still in high school and still trying to start a band. Uh, desperately trying to start something and uh, Steve McCraw who lives down the road here I got him to play my drum kit and, okay. and I played uh, guitar and I borrowed a bass for my brother he could he could play most anything but he just didn't have an interest in it really uh, not not like I did like uh, wanting to be uh, cutting edge <laughs> I guess <laughs> what were you doing when, when you guys were putting this together uh, I remember our favorite song was Hang On Sloopy by the McCoys, <laughs> uh, which we thought was just really, really cool. But uh, uh, Doug Benson, was, was he was in my high school class, and he played lead guitar for me. Uh, but uh, Doug Benson, by the way, is the loudest guitar player I've ever played with in my life. Just throwing that in. <laughs> well, I've played with a couple louder ones since then. <laughs> but uh, the uh, the music bug never left me, and uh, Bud went off to the Air Force, so uh, he was my mentor. <laughs> and so I lost contact with him about 1967, and, and uh, I went off to, well, I went to Gardner-Webb a year, and I didn't find anybody over there that knew music like like I knew music, and uh, went to Appalachia. And I still did, couldn't didn't connect with anybody up there. Although summer of '68, I met uh, one of my best friends, Scott DeBrule, and and another friend from they both went to Chase High School, Sherman uh, Tate, who now. He lives in the Raleigh area, and he plays all the time. It's Shaking Sherman and the Sheet Rockers, or Shaking Sherman and the DTs, or, or something like that. But I met these two guys at a summer job in '68, and I realized that they like music the way I like music. That uh, they knew that music meant something beyond just a yes. clever tune and uh, twelve notes. So. Uh, I hooked up with them in 68 and we've been friends ever since, although uh, I didn't 
I had a little folky uh, act, which I tried to do in college, which had a harmonica holder and a guitar and, uh, and a strong Bob Dylan influence. <laughs> but, uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, I played a double bill one night with Alicia Bridges when she was a folky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really good. So she was a folk singer. So uh, I usually met Alicia Bridges at some Methodist youth uh, social <laughs> thing <That's funny. laughs> in the in the in the fellowship hall of some Methodist church. But later on, she became queen of disco. She did. Um, and I'm sure she doesn't remember <laughs> anything we did. Um, but it, it never did develop into much, although I was constantly in contact with these other guys from Chase. I mean, it turned out there was a pack of them, about eight or ten of them, who loved music and uh, loved to go to concerts. And uh, back then, uh, the biggest thing I ever went to was Jubilee in Chapel Hill. I had a chance to go to that twice, and I thought, well, that's just wonderful. Uh, we, we got to see, uh, I saw Paul, Paul Butterfield Blues Band, I saw the Johnson Brothers, I saw the Mad Dog and Englishman tour with Le uh, Leon Russell and uh, Joe Cocker. Uh, uh, so I, I was just I was just in heaven hanging out with these guys uh, from Rutherford County, and still hang out with them. <laughs> uh, but I'll have to get to that later. Um, then Bud moved back to Cleveland County. Uh, and after being in the Air Force for four years, and we hooked up together, and we uh, started playing, you know, two or three times a week, just messing around. I mean, we were just entertaining ourselves, because this is like the early 70s, and we were, had not made a lot of money, so <laughs> that was our entertainment, was we played songs for each other. and. Uh, then later on, Bud went to work at the Volkswagen place, and they started having a a, a, a picking every Friday night at the Volkswagen place after the, it shut down. So that started getting more and more popular, and uh, then we met Mitchell Self, and he he joined in with us, and and uh, we were we were enjoying ourselves, just just not with with no ambition. Um, and one day we went to see this band called Smoking Grass. Yeah. With uh, we knew Richard Waldrop, yeah. who was in it, and there was Art Brooks and Dale Britton and a couple other guys. Anyway, they were doing New, Ga New Grass Revival. I mean, they were like letter perfect New Grass Revival covers. Uh, of course, the New Grass Revival were covering things like uh, the Beatles and uh, Bob Marley, and <laughs> so uh, Mitchell and Bud and I decided that we could do that too. Only we would do something a little bit different because we had been listening to all kind of other music. Yeah, all kinds of country and rock and roll, and and. Uh, 
but we like the bluegrass format, the new the new grass revival format, and uh, so we got together and, and first uh, we had Ronnie Love, who's one of those Rutherford County guys, to play banjo for us, and uh, I got my buddy Steve McCraw that lives down the road here to play bass. He didn't even own a bass, but uh, we. We finally, he got a bass and we got a bass amp and so uh, we had a complete ensemble there. Mitchell played mandolin and, and Bud played guitar. And uh, we thought, yeah, yeah, this is gonna work. And then Ronnie had to quit. And so we got our eyes on David Martin. Oh, David Martin. And David Martin was playing with Brushy Creek and they were playing traditional bluegrass and we kept telling David, you know, traditional bluegrass is great, but there's something else you need to do. And we knew David, he could play uh, fiddle, he could play dobro, he could play uh, mandolin, guitar, he could play anything he picked up. And uh, so we finally talked him into joining us, and, uh, and that was the, the Let's Honk that started out. Uh, and we got the name because... Uh, yeah, I was gonna ask you where the... Where the, well, the name came from was when we were at some of those late night pickings, either at the Volkswagen place or at our houses or wherever we were picking. After about midnight, we'd say, okay, let's honk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so honking became a, uh, I mean, uh, the guys I play with now, they still say, let's do some honking. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that, that was the saying around here for a pretty good while. Let's honk. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and we went, we went on like that for a while. Uh, later on, we added Randy, Randy Saxon yeah. on electric guitar. He could play a Telecaster like nobody's business. And David Roof, who had been a veteran of various bands around here, he, he joined us on drums. And uh, then I, I, I sort of had my vision complete because when I started out, my vision was not being like Newgrass Revival, but being like the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Ah, yeah, okay. Because the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, they would play rock and roll, and then they would play bluegrass, and then they'd play hardcore country. and. And then they would mix it all together and uh, play folk music or, or whatever, whatever came to mind. And I thought, well, that's what you ought to do. That is what you should do. You should play anything that comes to mind. And uh, so I guess that's uh, why we're considered ahead of our time because uh, that's what Americana is today. And you were one of the first uh, bluegrass format bands I saw with the Telecaster um, <laughs> and with drums. So. Yeah, it's it. It seemed to me to be the thing to do. I'll say your set list. Well, just give me a rundown of what maybe one of your set lists would include. Well, uh, we did do some originals. Uh, Mitchell was a good writer. Uh, but our set list might start off with The End Is Not In Sight 
by the Amazing Rhythm Aces, and then we'd switch to Long Black Veil, which is a traditional, uh, a traditional country song, but we played a version which was like four times faster than the original <laughs> so that people could dance. And we played uh, July, Your Woman, which was a song by John, John Stewart. Uh, we played, we'd cover the Eagles, we'd cover uh, hardcore country like She Thinks I Still Care, which is George Jones' tune. Uh, then we would play some, we didn't mind playing a traditional bluegrass or two, but, but we would jam it up. <laughs> uh, so, um, and then we, we got started getting bookings. Uh, just small parties at first, and then we started playing bars. We played Buffy's, Buffy's up in Tryon, which we really liked playing up there, and we played a bar in Spartanburg called Mickey's. Uh, we played the coal yard in York. Uh, playing that gig got us a gig at the beach playing in a biker bar, which was, <laughs> that was kind of risky. But uh, we played the old prospector in Charlotte. Uh, we had we had this set of bars that were kind of in the area. Uh, of course, we played stuff in Shelby too uh, as well. Yeah, almost a cult. John Prine's Grateful Dead is type of following. <laughs> yeah, I know. We would we would be in some foreign city like Spartanburg, and see all the same people show up down there. You know, it was it was kind of kind of uh, shocking, really. I didn't didn't realize this was was going to happen, but I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But uh, I guess the. The best thing that happened to us was we got hooked up with Steve Metcalf and Green Acres. Oh, yes, I do know about Green Acres. Oh, Green Acres was the place to be. It was the, <laughs> it was the place to be. Uh, we saw a lot of good shows up there and participated in a lot of good shows. And we were kind of like uh, the cancellation uh, sure thing. If, if somebody from... Uh, Nashville or wherever couldn't show up like they were supposed to. Let's honk could could jump up there, and the show went on. <clears throat> I guess our biggest uh, thrill at Green Acres was we got to open for Newgrass Revival one time, and actually did the sound for them, and and then uh, went to the after party with them. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we we really thought we were. In high cotton at that time. I, I'm sure you did. Uh -huh. And uh, so I'm forever grateful to Steve Metcalf for for uh, having faith in us. And and uh, thing, things went on like that for a while. And uh, then I had two little girls that uh, I felt like I needed to spend more time with. And I, of course, we all had full time jobs, and we were staying out till two in the morning. And and then getting up <laughs> and going to a job the next day. Um, so it got to be too much to do on a, on a regular basis. I mean, uh, so I just had to slow it down. And, and we, did, we did a few more gigs, reunion gigs, and 
all like that and uh, and uh, stayed friends and and enjoyed music uh, for for several years and then of course Bud passed away and uh, and David uh, has had some health problems and uh, uh, Randy went on to play with David Childers <laughs> so so uh, and I thank God David Roos in um, Florida. Yeah, David Roos in Florida. Steve McCraw moved to Spartanburg, and he's he's got a uh, a recording studio down there, Apple Tree Music, which he enjoys doing, and he plays with a band occasionally called Motherload. He's still a great bass player. Uh, and what have you done since then? I mean, well, Mitchell and I uh, we went over to the Dragonfly one night. And uh, there were some guys playing over there, and and uh, we thought, well, shoot, we can play <laughs> over here. I had a sound system, and you know, we had all our instruments and mics and stuff left over. And I said, well, why don't we go over to the Dragonfly and do a duo? And so we did that for a while, uh, playing some of the same similar stuff. Uh, and then Mitchell, he moved to Atlanta so he could be close to his grandkids and didn't blame him for that. And uh, so I floundered around a little bit, but I was still friends with these guys in Rutherford County who occasionally, they weren't all still in Rutherford County, they were in various places, but uh, I was still friends with them. And uh, uh, I met one, uh, Michael Sperling, I met him in college. Uh, 1968 and uh, we were still friends so he said well, come on up we play in the basement every now and then uh, and uh, Ronnie Love our old banjo player he was he was part of it and then several other people that I knew uh, who had been in various bands various times they uh, we just started playing in the basement for fun and uh, then they said well, we can get a gig over at Barley's Tap Room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what I've been doing. That's what you're doing now. Uh, is uh, occasionally, maybe every two months or so, we go over to Bar Barley's Tap Room, and we're the cancellation band for them too. If if <laughs> if they can't get a band together, uh, well, it's great that you're still doing this after all these years. I mean, some people play for a little while and yeah. disappear. I like I like it so much because well for one thing I think that music that we played shouldn't get lost you know uh, and uh, I, I probably enjoy it more now than ever before because there's no pressure I can just play what I want to play and uh, that's good that's real good did I uh did, did your daughter, didn't your daughter sing some too? Did you do some stuff with them? Yeah, uh, my daughters are real, real good singers. I mean, real. Uh, they do that sister harmony, and my granddaughter, she's probably the best singer of all. She just turned twenty-five, uh, but uh, so I'm an old guy. Um,
Yes, uh, and my granddaughter. Uh, they sing. They sing well, and I try to get something going with them. But they've they've got so many distractions. I mean, like my younger daughter Bonnie, she's flown out of town now for her work, and uh, uh, my older daughter Bethany, she works half the time in Charlotte and is on the road on 85 most of the day, and uh, and my granddaughter, she's she's working and she's. She's got things to do, and it's just hard to get them together. <laughs> well, that's a good thing they're working. I mean, at least they all, all <laughs> yeah. have jobs. Yeah, and uh, and my daughters, of course, having to raise kids too. And uh, oh, yeah. I wish I wish I could get them together to sing. Uh, and uh, so I was I was gonna try to get something worked up. I'm going to a, a party on the sixth of July, and so I. Was trying to get them worked up to do a couple of numbers at this party, and then they said, "Well, we got to go to the beach <laughs> on the sixth. It's the only time we can get away." Anyway, uh, I enjoy I enjoy it so much, and I'm so glad that I still have this group of people uh, in Rutherford County that enjoy the same kind of stuff I like. Well. Hang on, Mac. We're doing a we're podcast we're here. Good. We're just we're just about to wrap it up. You're good. All right. Well, Daryl, I appreciate you being with us today. You have a very interesting story, <laughs> and it's been a pleasure. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you. I would like to say in conclusion of my podcast with Daryl Allison that I don't think we can convey in, in this podcast just how important a figure he was in Cleveland County, music. He, he influenced a lot of bands and their repertoires uh, in this town for years. His influence is still heard. Um, again, I think he's the founding father of Americana music. He was certainly a big influence on my decisions to play covers. Um, and he still plays around and I'm sure that his show is still on the cutting edge. If you get a chance, go out and see him. Thank you.